Vanessa Hudgens has a strange career. I don't think I have ever seen her in anything before. You didn't see High School you Musical? Didn't see hi- I've never seen High School Musical, no. Lucas. Oh my God. Next we're going to fast. Yeah, we're going to We've got that. her. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Wanna hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut, Tick, Tick, Boom. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, um, in honor of the late, great Stephen Sondheim, let's answer the question, what is your favorite Sondheim song? I'm Lucas Wright from Chicago, and my favorite Sondheim song is not a catchy Sondheim song. It's Finishing the Hat from Sunday in the Park with George. Finishing the Hat. How you have to finish the hat. How you watch the rest of the world from a window while you finish the hat. Mapping out a sky. What you feel like planning a sky. What you feel when voices that come through the window go until they distance and die. Until there's nothing but sky. I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's a song that most encapsulates the feeling of like just needing to create and be creative while everyone else is just going about their lives <laughs> while you're stuck inside finishing a hat. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a extremely creative, awesome song. Um, that's not one of his catchiest. So Lucas last episode, we spent a good amount of time talking about Jake Gyllenhaal and that makes me want to know, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Jake Gyllenhaal's rendition of finishing the hat? I have. I'm a Mandy Patinkin fan. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm actually planning on watching Sunday in the Park with George for the first time this week later on. Oh, nice. I'm really excited about it. Um, So we have another guest on the pod this week. Someone really special is joining us. Yeah. Hi, guys. I am Rebecca Wright from Chicago. No relation. Um, Yeah. No, (laughs) we don't know each other. (laughs) Um, uh, No, I'm Lucas's wife. And I really don't have many qualifications to be here other than I really loved this movie that you guys are talking about today and wanted to join in on the conversation. Truly, we don't have qualifications either. That is (laughs) all that is necessary to be on this podcast. Very true. (laughs) I know. I think the last time I jumped on was Little Women, which was the last one. I was like, yes, I have stuff to say. Yeah. So. Um, um, and my uh, favorite Stephen Sondheim song is a song from Company. It's Not Getting Married Today. Listen, everybody, I'm afraid you didn't hear. Do you want to see a crazy lady fall apart in front of you? It isn't only Paul who may be ruining his life. You know, we'll both of us be losing our identities. I telephoned my analyst about it. He said to see him Monday. Bye-bye, Monday. I'll be floating in the Hudson with the other garbage. I'm not well, so I'm not getting married. You've been swell, but I'm not getting married. Clear the hall, because I'm not getting married. Thank you all, but I'm not getting married. And don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. 
Um, and I just love it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's a very impressive song. The singer in it has to sing so quickly and also show so much personality in it while they're doing it. I also saw a really great video this past week after Stephen Sondheim passed away of him doing a workshop with students and like coaching them through performing this song. And it was just so much fun to watch how into it he was and how like excited he was for his students and I, just how much fun he was having with it as well. That song is one of the greatest triumphs of musical theater, in my opinion. Just yeah. like yeah. anyone who can accomplish <laughs> it, like yes. put them in their own hall of fame, in Seriously. my mind. Yeah. 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 It's insane. Um, that's a fantastic pick. So, and I'm also so happy that you're here. Um, my name is Sandra Omstetz. I am from Nashville, Tennessee. And there are so many Sondheim songs that make me laugh, that move me, that make me cry. But the one that I keep coming back to is very short and sweet, but it's the one that I find myself singing all the time and that I, I relate to so much, and that is Giants in the Sky from Into the Woods. The roof, the house, and your mother at the door. The roof, the house, and the world you never thought to explore. And you think of all of the things you've seen, and you wish that you could live in between. And you're back again, only different than before. After the sky, there are giants in the sky. There are big, tall, terrible, awesome, scary, wonderful giants in the sky. I think it's a, an underrated song, and it's because of its its simplicity. And um, yeah, but I find myself singing that chorus over and over again. I, I It's never left me since I saw it as a middle schooler um, for the first time when my high, my the local high school did a production of Into the Woods. Uh, I've been a a very, it's so good. I've been very emotional all weekend about um, this death and his death. And also just the, the community of people who love art and who loved his work kind of all kind of feeling all of our feelings together at the same time. The fact that it also happened around the holidays when we're all with our families is probably just amplifying everything. But um, I was really glad to hear y'all's picks. And I'm sure we'll talk about Sondheim more as the episode goes on. It'll, sure. it'll be relevant. <laughs> um, right. Before we do that, though, I do want to know what are we all feeling this week? Um, Lucas, do you want to start us off? Yeah, this week I'm feeling um, Noah Gunderson's newest album, A Pillar of Salt. Um, this album did not come out this week, but it's been something that I've just been sitting on and listening to over and over again. And I love this album. This is my favorite album of his so far, which is insane to have someone's like, you know, eighth album or whatever be, I think, I think their best album. Um, I just think it's truly a stunning songwriting experience um going through and like listening to all of his songs back to back he's he's someone who has been releasing stuff you know publicly i guess since like 2008 and so there's been a lot of progression and so he's been very folk he's been very country at times but i think he's leaned into like the ryan adams and the dashboard confessionals at different points in his career um and in this album it really feels like he is uh just 
being himself, <laughs> which I'm not, not to say he's not in his other albums, but this is this is one of the first albums that of his that I've listened to. That's like this is fully 100% Noah Gunderson, and I think he has just a very I think interesting career to, to, in in my mind. He hasn't done a lot of um, you know, big famous things. Um, but he kind of falls for me in the category of like sleeping at last where like his songs are out there, people know them. Um, but he's not, you know, a big star or anything like that. And at this point in his career, he's not really trying to be. Um, and I think on this album, he has a song with, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, Mm. which is called Atlantis. And I think their voices match really well. And it's even, I think it's, it's the, the hit song off the album, obviously with Phoebe Bridgers on it. Um, but it's definitely one I keep coming back to. Yeah, so that that's kind of the vibe of the whole album. It's very chill, um, very easy to listen to. Um, and it's a, I, to me, it feels like a very good album to to go into this winter listening to. <laughs> so the name Noah Gunderson rings such a bell for me. And I am like rummaging through my Spotify trying to figure out what what like song of his is, you know, on a playlist of mine or um, has been like hooked in my brain. And I haven't found it yet. But this is something, yeah. Lucas, that I feel like will be chatting about more offline as I continue to search or you continue to just <laughs> recommend songs to me. For sure. He has so like, again, because he's been around for so long, I feel like he's one of those things that like everybody has a song of his that, you know, but it's not necessarily like he doesn't have a hit or anything like that, but he's just been around so long. He's been in a lot of his songs have been in like TV shows and stuff like that. I think probably his like most famous one is from his 2014 album ledges. The song is called first defeat. So if you've heard that one, uh, that might be it, <laughs> but it truly could be any of his songs. So since I have you both on the podcast, I feel like this is a really good opportunity for me to like <laughs> take a little peek into how you guys listen to music as individuals and as a couple. So Rebecca, I'm very curious when like Lucas brings up, you know, album recommendations on the podcast all the time. Yeah. Are you, do you, are you like, oh yeah, I've been hearing this in the kitchen all week or are these like surprises to you when, you know, when he, when you hear him recommend music to someone else? So he's really chill about it. So like I, it's funny because whenever he was feeling Noah Gunderson this week, I was like, oh yeah, he turned Noah Gunderson on in the car like five times recently. But it wasn't this like, let's talk about how great this album is. It's just like, oh yeah, now we're playing Noah Gunderson. Right. You know, so it's like, it's it's not something I think about very much. And then he mentions it. I'm like, oh yeah. But I am, for myself, I... I'm not great at like pursuing finding new music. I find like finding music to be pretty overwhelming. So I love his interest in music because he listens to amazing music and then I get to benefit from it um, either with the playlists he makes or he plays a Noah Gunderson album five times in the car or he's, (laughs) he started though having to, 
to make me my own playlist of like, Rebecca, you need to listen to this to still be relevant. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> um, it's like, I listen to Taylor, Taylor Swift's Red, like those kind of things. Sure. The really good music I only find because of Lucas and I, his playlists. I'm very interested to see what my Spotify wrapped is this year because I can't remember a single time I listened to anything other than Taylor Swift. Like I really, <laughs> and I'm not even exaggerating. I don't have other than like, you know, if someone specifically recommended me something or if I put on, you know, a, a mix for a dinner party or something, but not like actively choosing like, Oh, I'm going to listen to this new album or I'm going to, you know, make a playlist. It's, it's been right. a whole year. So <laughs> Lucas, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, he can keep us both relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's very nice. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, what are you feeling this week? Okay. So I am feeling the final season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, obviously, I know Lucas has watched it because that's who I watched it with. But Sandra, did you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine like, as it came out? And are you up to date on it? So I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I'm so curious. Um, I watched the first, I don't know how many seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, maybe three or so. I don't know how many there have been out. But at some point in the middle, I fell off. And not for any particular reason or, or frustration. It's just one of those shows that gets you know lost in the shuffle. Um but I have a fondness for, for that cast, and um, I know people love the show. And I remember, I think it was last year, there being discussions online about how Brooklyn Nine-Nine would conclude um, with a lot of the actors kind of having some um, emotions and feelings about playing cops and, and what that means in today's climate and um, how people's like feelings, personal feelings, have evolved on the police and I'm really, really curious on how if that had any effect in the show itself and, and how those changes have gone to effect if there have been any. And also just how the show is lately. Yeah, totally. I mean, it has been a show that we have really loved for a long time. I mean, yeah. it's a Mike Sure show. So his others being like The Office, Parks and Rec, The Good Place, you know, truly amazing comedy. Um, but I think that this show specifically – we have just, like you said, it has such an amazing cast. I love the characters in it. I feel like in other Mike Schur shows, like in Parks and Rec, it took me kind of like a season to really get into, whereas Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I feel like, um, kind of grabbed me immediately. I think it also helps that Lucas is like a pretty solid version of Captain Holt. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I agree. I think that there was a time with Brooklyn Nine-Nine that they had this weird thing. I'm, I'm trying to even remember. I think they were on FX and then they FX canceled the show and then it got picked up by NBC, I think. Yeah, I think that's Fox. Right. Yeah, it was on Fox. Yeah. It was on then... Fox. Yeah. And so I think that like in that transition, it slowed down a little bit, but then they were really able to find their rhythm and figure out like how are they going to do the same comedy on NBC. So I want I'm curious if that's kind of around the time that you've kind of faded out. Very but likely. I think that, I think that timing makes a lot of sense. And yeah, we were really unsure what was going to happen with the show, with it being a cop show and with the actors on it being very honest about how they felt about being a part of a cop show. And I think that they handled it really well. They did yeah. not shy away from it at all. Um, and they also approached it in several different ways, but they have one character quits being a detective completely because of it. 
one character like kind of struggling with like I chose to stay and you chose to leave and what does that say about me one character that's kind of that stereotypical like trying to be like trying to be woke white person that's like got all the right lingo and you know things like that but it was like incredibly obnoxious and then you also have two black characters struggling with how they are going to maneuver and respond in this new environment and and it comes up pretty much every episode and yet it's is still the same amazing humor and everything that it's always been yeah i think one of the things that really surprised me which makes a ton of sense is that just that like these characters are so just well developed in this show Mm -hmm. already that by the time you get to this every all of them can have unique points of views that feel um, very grounded in the characters that they are and very authentic to the conversations that are happening today without it feeling forced. Um, and going to some of those like really difficult places that I think other shows about cops can't go. I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine has the ability to like just dig in and find the humor and the ridiculousness and um, I think the... <laughs> you know, the needed pathos that's, um, that you can only get from, I think, a comedy. Yeah. And I think this was really a really perfect season. Like the humor was incredible. I laughed so hard through this last season, like laughed out loud several times. And, um, I think even like all the way up to the final finale, the final episode, they, just really stayed true to the show and ended it in a really wonderful way. So, Yep. I thought it was a really great wrap up. I'm curious to see it. It really might end up. I I cannot commit to it overtaking the office, but it's at least <laughs> it's at least going to be my probably my second favorite Mike Sure show. Uh, that's high praise, I think. I mean, being number two to the office is, I think, a big compliment yeah. to yeah. me. <laughs> to be honest, um, I'm gonna have to do like three to four rewatches before sure. I could say if it could ever hold a candle to the office. Right. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to hear that it's um, has this fulfilling ending because you just never know with your favorite shows if they're gonna stick that landing. And I'm so glad that y'all have been very that you have high praises for this season. Yeah, I definitely recommend. I think that you could very easily pick up just on this season if you wanted to. Um, I don't. I don't feel like there's any major plot points, so you'd be like, "What's happening?" Right. Um, so I think even if you wanted to just watch these last ten episodes, you could definitely do that. You know, I just might because I am. I did infamously only watch the last season of Game of Thrones, um, and yeah. so I feel Perfect. like this is this is a move keep straight. right yeah. that I could that I could keep playing right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I have a new show that I want to recommend to y'all, or I'm very curious if you've checked it out. Um, what I'm feeling this week is a show on HBO Max called Starstruck. It is a British oh. romantic comedy. Have either of y'all watched this? No, but no. I Googled Starstruck and I got a Disney Channel original movie. Oh. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't out of character, but I guess we're going to do this. But <laughs> No, 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 no. I no. feel better now. <laughs> Lucas, this is so much more up your alley. You're going to be so excited for Good. what this is. Yeah. So, no, this is, it's technically a British show, but it was created by and stars, um, uh, Rose Matafeo, who is a New Zealander, um, she's incredibly funny, and she plays a broke 20-something struggling in London who has a one-night stand um, 
unwittingly with a movie star. And the rest of the season is just about these two characters kind of reckoning with their differences in status. And um, to me, it's it's honestly one of the best will-they-won't-they they romances I've seen in a really long time. The chemistry between the two leads is so, so charming and electric and exciting. It's a rom-com that really embraces the comedy, which I feel like I, I'm always on the hunt for. You know, so many... I think romances have the label of rom-com, but are barely funny or funny in kind of cheesy ways, right? This is true comedy with just the right amount of romance. And then also, like I said, it's it's a will-they-won't-they. They. It's these characters that can never seem to like, that obviously have this connection and have chemistry, but can't seem to make this work for a variety of reasons. And unlike most shows that have strong will-they-won't-they they plots, speaking of The Office, right? Um, mm-hmm. That is like, in those shows, that is one thread that kind of runs through the background of a show with a different plot, right? This show, Starstruck, is one season long. I don't know if there's going to be any more seasons, but it wouldn't surprise me if there wasn't. This show is one season long, and there are a few other things that are going on in the show, but the will-they-won't-they they of these people connecting and falling apart is the main plot point. And it's from someone who loves romance as much as I do. It's really exciting to just like dive into that and just relish it um, and not have to just savor little bits and moments like we'd usually do on sitcoms. So Um, would you say that this is basically like, is the vibe kind of like all of our favorite rom-coms, but as a TV show? 100%. Is it Notting Hill, but a TV show? Oh my gosh. I'm so in on this. It is Notting Hill, but with a much more sharp sense of humor Amazing. and with a character yeah. who is much more of a mess and much more uh, aware of themselves than maybe like a, a dashing yeah. Hugh Grant is uh, <laughs> a modern take. On right. <laughs> exactly. Up. Yeah. A gender flipped, more realistic version yeah. of a Notting Hill. Um, it's really, really charming. It reminded me a lot also of, um, Oh, what's the show that changed its name that you love, Lucas? Love Sick. Love Sick. Oh, Thank yeah. you. I could only think of the first name. Um, the but first I, name I, is so bad. Yeah. It honestly reminds me a lot of Love Sick and that it covers, um, it doesn't cover, a t- it only covers a year in these characters' lives, but the show is only, I, I, you know, either six or ten episodes long. So it's spreading out that time period in the way that Love Sick kind of did. And yeah, it's just really, really charming. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I started it when I was on the my flight home from um, Texas to Nashville, and I got home from my flight at like eleven thirty, and I just finished the season. I stayed up until like one or two in the morning because I couldn't put it down. Um, Love it. Yeah. So my my next recommendation for y'all when you are. In the mood for something romantic. Oh, yeah, I'm so, so excited in like an about hour. this. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. like, I will watch it by this weekend. Right. I'll let you, yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, I, You're I speaking my language. I, I can't wait. I want to hear your thoughts once y'all do. Um, for sure. Okay. Are we ready to talk about Tick, Tick, Boom? Yes. Fear or love, baby, don't say the answer. Lucas and 
I, we've talked about Tick, Tick, Boom here on the podcast as as we've been anticipating it. I believe we talked about the, we probably talked about the trailer, I'm assuming we yes, did? Yes, we did. Okay. Um, I know that we, you know, when we talked about In the Heights, I know that we mentioned both anticipating this movie and how this has kind of been a year of musicals. Um, much more, yeah. I feel like, than it has been in, in recent years. So I just want to get that out of the way that I have been highly anticipating this movie. Lucas, I'm, I, I'm kind of aware that you have been too. Rebecca, were you excited for Tick, Tick, Boom? Yes, I was very excited for Tick, Tick, Boom. Mostly because the trailer, especially the teaser trailer, mm-hmm. just hooked me immediately. You know, it opens with like Andrew Garfield doing his like... Right. Yeah, the boho Song. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't remember what it's called. Um, and it's just such a intriguing and catchy trailer. It has been my favorite trailer of the year so far. Um, I made us watch that trailer so many times um, <laughs> before this movie came out because that song just hooked me. Um, so I was really excited about it. And I was trying to set my expectations realistically and trying not to get like too hyped about it so that I wouldn't be too disappointed. But then um, right before it came out, started seeing some of the buzz around it. And I kind of let my expectations soar at that point. That's very relatable. Um, I also want to know, Rebecca, how do you feel about Andrew Garfield? You know, I would say overall, I have felt very neutral about Andrew Garfield up until this point. Um, You know, had a certain level of investment in the whole Emma Stone, Andrew Garfield moment that we had. Absolutely. A while ago. (laughs) I'm still a little sad that one didn't work out. I think, I I feel like he is too. Like, not not in a sad way, but just in like a beautiful, wistful way, you know? Yeah, just in a like, wow, missed opportunity. Was this, I'm I'm assuming this happened during Amazing Spider-Man slash Post Amazing Spider Man? Yeah, they dated for a little bit. Wow. Yeah, like a yeah. couple of it. years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I was always like rooting for them to get back together. They were always such nice exes. So right. I think in that way, I've always like been inclined to like him, but I've never had like the super, super strong feeling about him. Well, I, I do just want to make my stance clear for anyone who's new to the podcast. Andrew Garfield is. I kind of come to terms with it this week before I even watched Tick, Tick, Boom, that he's my favorite actor. I just like, I'm just owning it. it. He, I've always been a huge fan of his. I've always said that I will watch everything he makes. Um, But now I am just starting to realize that um, I I have a strong bias. And so that's something to just be aware of as we, as we move forward in this conversation. (laughs) Um, Lucas, I don't think I've asked you about your Andrew Garfield opinions lately. Um, have they changed? Have you, have you have you felt recently? I I love Andrew Garfield. I feel like he's in a slump at the moment. I don't feel mm-hmm. like he's well. I feel like this brings him out of the slump. Um, I don't feel like he's done anything um, truly powerhouse in a while to be at the level of movie star that he uh, deserves to be. I think. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to see where his career goes from here. One last Andrew Garfield question for both of you. <laughs> Did either of you happen to see the recording that was in theaters and I think is online somewhere of him starring in Angels in America? No, I have not no. seen that. So he won a Tony for that performance. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, and Angels in America is, you know, it's like six hours or more of theater. Like it's, you know, two nights of performances. It's an undertaking. And he kind of just 
blew everyone away in it. So if you ever wanted to like really subject yourself to that much theater, um, I would recommend it. Always. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I promise I won't keep make this only about Andrew Garfield. So I want to know. <laughs> I mean, but it can be. <laughs> like, <laughs> Lucas would if, if we just want to like take a have a side pod. Uh, okay. where we, yeah. 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 <laughs> Look, we can have a whole episode just me and you talking about rom coms, Andrew uh, Garfield, Taylor Swift. Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll start coming up with podcasts. You already names. did Taylor. Yeah. Swift, <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't worry. I have a lot more to say. Um, I I got home late that night that you guys were recording it, and I was like. You guys are still talking about this. <laughs> like you guys talked for so long about Taylor Swift. Yeah, truly one of our longest episodes. Um, but there's a lot to say. Yeah, there really is. I don't is. disagree. It was just hilarious. Yeah. Okay, but back to Tick Tick Boom. I do just want to know now. Ultimately, what did you guys think? Rebecca, you can go first. Okay, I loved it. I was so charmed by this movie um to the extent that the second it ended i was like i want to go on the podcast and talk about this movie because <laughs> like, i just i loved it 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 i was fully swept into it i was so charmed by andrew garfield's performance it made me want to learn so much more about jonathan larson and just like what he was like and um, yeah, I just, I thought that Lin-Manuel Miranda did a really amazing job, um, adapting this for a movie. I think that this play could be very difficult to do. Um, and I think that you can really tell that he chose for his directorial debut, something that he really loves and is really passionate about. And I feel like that plays out, um, in pretty much every aspect of this movie. I just, I really, really had so much fun with it. Yeah. I think one of the amazing things about something like this is seeing is is it's made by people who have probably felt like this you know um like this exactly not like this feeling uh in a different context it's like the the <laughs> um Lin-Manuel Miranda directing it um has been through that period of trying to write you know, a musical and it not getting made and then it finally getting made. Um, you know, Andrew Garfield getting, wanting to get cast in things and then not getting cast in things. Um, so like this is all lived experience that really you can feel the energy bubbling to the top of like, this is a feeling that I feel and I am portraying it exactly. Um, and I, I just think there's so much energy in this that, 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 I, that now I feel that, you know, <laughs> like, like it just, it just kind of, bubbles over out of this this movie into into me and watching it i was like this is this is good i like this but afterwards um continuing to think about it and continuing to you know sing the songs and um you know revisit uh a lot of the relationships in that film i am really just stunned by it i think afterwards mm-hmm. i was like that was good i really enjoyed it and now you know later i'm, I'm like this I definitely want to rewatch this very soon. <laughs> yeah. So I had a little bit of a similar experience, Lucas, when I, I watched it the first time, um, the day that Stephen Sondheim died. I, my, Ooh. I was, I was home with my family. We found out that Stephen Sondheim had died and my, my mom and I had been planning on watching this movie already. But then when that happened, I just thought, Oh, well we need to watch this movie knowing that, um, Sondheim is, is is a small p- part of this show. Yeah. Um, and so we put that on. And so, like I said, I've been emotional about it all weekend. And I we watched this movie, and I really liked it. But I didn't 
love it. And I should love this movie, right? Like this yeah. is, everything <laughs> about this is made for me. Andrew Garfield's my favorite actor. This is a, a musical. Everything about the trailer I was so excited by. I was like, why don't I love it, you know? Um, and so that was kind of sitting with me. And then I rewatched it again today and I figured out the things that were holding me back. But then also upon a second viewing, I fell in love with this movie. Um, I realized that there were certain things that I have issues with, but that ultimately in this grand scheme of the film, they're very small issues and the good of this film so far outweighs them. And like you mentioned also, Lucas, the energy that is in, in these mm-hmm. musical numbers and in the writing and in the the, the physicality of this movie um, is intoxicating. And I I really did fall in love that second time around. And so my, my, my compassion for this film and my excitement is growing the more I sit yeah. with it. I am excited to talk about the things that didn't work for us. Yeah. Um, because I, I definitely felt that of like, there are pieces of this that, that I think really don't work, but they matter so little in the grand scheme of this movie. <laughs> right. Um, but I, but I think because they're big misses in the fact that it wasn't like, ah, oh, that was a little rocky. It was like, that was a bad choice. Um, I think they stuck out to me more originally. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like, like you said, but like overall, like they matter so little in how good this movie is um, that I'm very excited to see it again and see if I even care. (laughs) Well, another thing that is completely unfair to this movie is that, you know, the writer of these songs and of this show went on to write rent. And that is present in my mind the entire time I'm watching it. And nothing should be compared to rent. Like the rent was a a global phenomenon. Um, Right. And so that I'm I'm sure that when I was watching it the first time, I was subconsciously comparing each song to the the quality level of Rent and and how good those songs are. And I I don't think that that's fair. So it's something that is definitely I have opinions about that I'm excited for us to discuss. Um, But like I said, I don't think you should every film or every musical should be compared to one of the greatest musicals that like with one of the biggest receptions ever. (laughs) We did immediately after we finished watching Tick, Tick, Boom, turned on Rent and watched all of Rent. So we watched the two back to back. Yeah. The movie version. Yeah. Sorry. The movie movie version. version. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the only version I've ever seen is the movie version. Uh, I don't think, I don't think this is a controversial take, but I don't think the movie is very good, but even just getting to watch it and listen to the songs. The movie of Rent. The movie of Rent, yes. Yeah. Um, For a second, I thought you were talking about Tick, Tick, Boom. And I was like, well, I've that decided was a twist. Tick, Tick, Boom is bad <laughs> just now. <laughs> no, you know, it's hard for, you know, with movie musicals, I- I'm. I'm usually not super critical of them, even when a lot of people yeah. say, like, this is bad, especially compared to the show, right? Yeah. Because, quite frankly, I haven't had access to live stage productions of most musicals. Um, yeah. I can probably count the number of live musicals I've seen on two hands, you know? And mm-hmm. so when I get a movie version, even if it's not technically good, 
I'm just so excited to have access. You know, mm-hmm. um, a chorus line. People hate the movie version of a chorus line. I love <laughs> it because that's the only version of chorus line I've ever had. And a chorus line is very good, you know? Yeah. And so I kind of feel that way about the movie version of Rent as well. I, yeah, I, I definitely feel it. And like, obviously, realistically, as a movie, it's it's not great, but we still get to sit there and watch Adina Menzel sing Take Me or Leave Me. So like right. there's no like there's there's nothing bad about that that I can <laughs> you know complain about. So Absolutely. Yeah. Which does make me wonder, I'm assuming neither of y'all have seen a stage production of Tick Tick Boom. No. Right. Right. Um there I have seen people online uh, people. I have seen one person online that I that I like and you know tr- trust his opinions. Um, comedian Joel Kim Booster, I think he tweeted that this is one of his favorite movie adaptations of a musical that they really um, almost Im- improved upon the stage show with a lot of the choices that were made in this. And so that had me really interested. Yeah. The idea of taking a lesser known musical and I think gives you that uh, more dramatic license to, to kind of do what you want with it and, and make it a movie. And I do think like, as we were watching, I was like, this is the most, movie version of a musical that i have ever seen like it feels like it was originally designed to be this movie um and i think a lot of it is the kind of the the license that you you get to to kind of cut and chop and um change things move things around um make it a different thing um and i I I really loved that version of it yeah i also think it comes from the fact that you're taking a musical that's essentially a one-man show i mean i know he has a band and backup singers and such but that comes from real life and that you get to create that real life on screen to go along with this one man show, I think is part of what makes that adaptation so successful is like, you're getting to build out the world as it was acted. Right. Compared to other musicals that have costumes and huge casts and sets and, um, and this, you know, you really get to flesh that out in a way that I'm assuming with the original show you, other than, you know, you don't get that yeah. that right. whole view. And a lot of a lot of the show is him telling stories, you know, of mm-hmm. stuff that happened to him. And so in this movie, you get to just show those stories without, <laughs> you know, um, kind of the baggage of it being a, just a, a monologue, um, which obviously gives it more, you know, cinematic license. Totally. Well, I don't think that this would be super spoilery to say, but I do want to know what some of y'all's favorite numbers were in the show or numbers that you connected with particularly for me, I thought this, this wasn't the, uh, I think the big song, but it's the song that like, to me was like, this is just amazing. Songwriting is the song therapy that Andrew Garfield sings mm-hmm. with Vanessa Hudgens. It's cut back and forth between his argument with Susan, uh, Susan. the character, yes, Susan. Susan. So he's having an argument with Susan and it cuts back and forth between their, really tense argument and this song about a couple needing to go to therapy and fighting. I'm not mad that you got mad when I got mad when you said I should go to death. If I were you and I'd done what I'd done, I'd do what you did when I gave you the ring, having said what I said. I feel bad that you feel bad about me. It's a very funny song. I, I, don't, I don't know how this plays in the on stage, but I'm assuming it's very similar to what it is because uh, they're cutting back and forth between the argument and uh, it being performed on stage. And it is this very fun, boppy, 
song and the way it's cut and inner interwoven with this argument i think is beautiful <laughs> yeah i think it's a, i think it's truly an amazing piece of art separate the, the the song itself but the way it's edited in uh i think it's just truly amazing uh my favorite thing about that song and the performance of it was andrew garfield and vanessa hudgens physicality and facial yeah. expressions it's so much fun it reminded me so much of not getting married today. I feel like this song yes. is the mm-hmm. most Sondheim in the whole show. That it has that quickness, that sense of humor, that wordplay, and also pairing that with um, the facial expressions that they were constantly making, the smiles, the panicked looks, the two chair choreography. I'm a sucker mm-hmm. for choreography that's <laughs> mm-hmm. not actual dancing, that's just hands and and, and um, close movements. Um that was really, really exciting. Yeah. Rebecca, did you have a, a song that particularly stuck out to you? Yeah. I think that there were two songs I just really loved. Um, and neither one of them are like the particularly like really moving songs from this musical. But I just loved the way that they were performed and portrayed in the movie. Um, and one, of course, was Boho Days because that was what initially – caught my attention on the trailer and I just have continued to be so I keep using the word charmed but I can't think of a better word this is the life of Bo 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 this is the life of Bo 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 this is the life of Bo 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 it's very charming. It's so charming. Um, and we even watched a video of Lin-Manuel Miranda and Andrew Garfield breaking down the scene. And it was just so fun to hear them talking about it and to hear Andrew Garfield talking about how intimidated he was to film it because it was supposed to feel so improvised. natural and not that showy yeah. and improvised. And, you know, he's also like, I'm not that great of a singer or he doesn't think he is. I think he did a great job. But... Um, I just, I, it felt improvised to me and it felt like a person who's like kind of high and kind of drunk starting this song and dancing around, um, dancing around their living room and coming up with these really incredible lyrics, um, while they do it. It it felt to me like what probably being Jonathan Larson's friend was like, that like he could just do that, you know, that he could just like light up a room and then also be wildly impressive while he did it. Um, so that was one. I have rewatched that scene several times this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then the other one that I really enjoyed was Sunday in the diner. know that it was just this like conducting a chorus of these like Broadway legends to sing about ridiculous people in a diner um I think that that was kind of a turning point for me in this film that like I think before that I was like oh yeah I like this but I even remember I was kind of playing on my phone a little bit at the beginning and it drives Lucas nuts so I should (laughs) probably shouldn't have fessed to that on this podcast but um but it was like after that when that song started, I put my phone away and I didn't look at it again for the rest of the movie, you know, and I, I do that. I 
play on my phone even when I like a movie, but that was just kind of the turning point for me of when I really got hooked in. You know, the point of a lot of musicals is to, like, break up the mundane or the realistic with music and song and, like, bring an element of, like, glamour and and fantasy, right, into these Mm -hmm. storylines. But that particular number, Sunday, I feel like the the way that it brings fantasy into this story mm-hmm. where it t- it's like mm-hmm. we're going to take a break we're going to pause the pro- the the plot to really just enjoy this moment um i it was so refreshing i i loved just what it did for the whole pacing of the film it really did feel like this this is its own its own moment in the whole movie that we're going to step step aside and enjoy i i i found it really really beautiful i I don't usually listen to soundtracks before movies come out, um, but I did. They did release a cl- the the opening clip, uh, not even the full song, but just a clip of the beginning of Thirty Ninety, and mm-hmm. I watched that. And after I saw that, I went and listened to the full song on Spotify, and. I have been listening to 3090 on repeat. Other than Taylor Swift, it's like the only thing I'm listening to. <laughs> I've been listening to 3090 and I'm so wowed by it. They're singing happy birthday. You just want to lay down and cry. Not just another birthday. It's 
Uh, it's like a side by side of Andrew Garfield and Jonathan Larson both performing this song at the same time. So I've seen the clip of Jonathan Larson performing this and I saw it after I had seen the Andrew Garfield clip. So I did notice those similarities, but I, I should watch the side by side version. It's just so impressive. I mean, I think Andrew Garfield does not directly fully imitate him, but I, you can just it's such good acting, yeah. <laughs> you know, that like you can really see how Andrew, um, Andrew Larson, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Garfield took on Jonathan Larson, um, but still also gave his own spin to it. And I think it was really cool to see. Yeah. I also agree that it's, I think, one of the best songs in the in the show. And again, like like you said at the beginning, you have to compare this to Rent, uh, which is just a terrible thing to have to do. But that is, right. that's kind of just what happens in your head. Um, and so I think I was surprised by uh, some of this. I do think a couple of the songs in here are bad. Um, yeah. And not, not great. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think um, when, like when, we, when you look at the list, though, I think more than I assumed were actually good. Right. And so, but like you said, like to start off with, I think like possibly the best song here is a, is a stretch. Like, like to, to do that is a power play. Yeah. (laughs) And it really gets you into it though. And I think it really gets you into the understanding of like where he's at in his mind. And again, this is how he kicked off his show. So it, it makes sense to start there, but, um, it's just a real, it's, it's a, it's an exciting start. I fully agree with that, Lucas. I was, when I watched it the first time, there were a couple of songs where I was like, this is not a good song. And Mm -hmm. that realization when you're watching something for the first time, you don't expect every song to be the best ever, but to actively think this is not good um, is real. I think really puts a damper on the experience and really led me to think that this movie wasn't as good as I, you know, it really actually is. And when I watched it that second time, I was like, what are the things I don't like? And I was like, oh, barely anything. It's really just like those few moments in the songs where I was like, yep. this song isn't great. But the rest of this movie I love. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for us to talk about that. Yeah, it feels funny where we're talking about a musical and there are some really good musical numbers. But I think that the story and the characters and the real life people are really what carries this movie almost more than the music. Yeah. I have story issues as well, but they're issues that I wrestling with. Like I'm not saying I I dislike them about the film, but it's more just what makes it interesting is that I'm wrestling with it. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing that I will say about the story of the film and, and the way this film is directed is that, you know, this is not a film for outsiders. Like it is a film for people who know, who know about Broadway. And I don't even know that much about Broadway. So there's times when I'm like, Oh, I'm picking up these references. I'm picking up these cameos, but there was a lot that I missed. And I feel like this film isn't interested in educating people or like trying to get people on board. It's, it's really kind of like more of this love letter to people who are already in this community. Um, and it also kind of felt like because of the tragic nature of, you know, Jonathan Larson's story, it also felt kind of felt like a ghost story. You know, like when you're watching it, you're like, oh, I, I immediately have to have this in- intense connection to this person because I know this tragic ending. 
and the more I read about the film and I hear about the dedication that was put into making this and all of the people that show up, I'm just fascinated by the making of this film and Sometimes I'm wondering if that overshadows, like, the actual story of the film. It's hard for me to separate, I guess is what I'm saying in in that rant, is that it's hard for me to separate what I know about the making of this film and the dedication that the Broadway community has to this story versus just watching it as a story alone. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it's something that, like, I, I think, and this is the only time will tell, but I think it'll be something that, like, it is for insiders, but it's also a an amazing treat to become an insider after watching this (laughs) true yeah um and i think i i I kind of feel where you are like i love broadway i know some about broadway (laughs) right um but there's many stuff that there's many stuff many things that i did miss and that i won't realize until later in life um when i have learned more about broadway and it will feel great it'll feel um I don't know if you ever did this, but like watching a Disney movie as an adult being like, oh my gosh, there were so many things that are like, I just didn't, it just went over my head as a child. And I, I love it now as an adult that those things are in there. Um, that, that's exactly how I feel about Tick, Tick, Boom, I think. That's a great point. Let's talk spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No. Crack and gas. Spoilers. Remember wanted this lucas i really want to hear from you first what songs did not work for you um for me the 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 two that really stood out to me uh was green green dress green green dress i think is a bad song (laughs) um and not 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 very musically interesting either um but i think jonathan larson has a way of, of with lyrics that i think is really interesting and i think green green dress felt more like just kind of a it didn't feel like a pop song, but it felt like the idea of like a cheesy pop song. So didn't um, they not include that in the movie? Am I missing yeah, something? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember this song. Is it not in the movie? No. no. Did I just listen to that on the soundtrack? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. I even like pulled up the lyrics. I was like, I literally watched the first half of this movie like <laughs> an hour ago. and I don't remember the no. song, so it they, must be bad. They, they recorded the song and I do believe they shot the scene, but they cut it out of the movie. Oh, well, good. Um, cause the song's bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that w- what's funny is, cause I mean, obviously there is the scene of her in the dress and I like, couldn't remember them singing it, but I was like, well, she was in the dress and you know, the song's on the soundtrack. Right. I was like, it must be cause it's so bad, which is why I forgot that it's not in the movie. Okay. Well, that, that, that helps. That makes it better. Um, <laughs> I think the, the, the big song is for me, that is bad is the song that he spends the whole movie trying to write and can't come to your senses when you finally get to, because it's, it is a huge buildup to get to that point. And then you listen to it and you're like, this is not a good song. Come to your senses, the fences inside are not for real. If we feel as we did, and I do, can't you recall when this all began? It was only you and me. It was only me. Anytime a movie is like, we've got to make the perfect song. And then Mm -hmm. they play the the big song and you're like... I've spent this whole movie waiting for the big song, and this is it. This exact same thing happened in Pop Star Never Stop Stopping. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. So many great songs in that movie, like funny and really catchy. And then they're like, we're going to write the ultimate song. And it was <gasps> bad. And um, 
Yeah. So I, I, I agree. I don't think that, what is it? Come to your senses is a good song. Um, the, the melody of that come to your senses defenses line, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. is beautiful and has been stuck in my head and plays throughout the whole show. Um, but that's the only thing I really like about that yeah. song. Lyrically, it feels very bland and yeah. kind of on the nose. The first time I watched it, I remember thinking, oh, this song is actually not good. And we've spent this whole movie building up towards it. The second time I watched it, I warmed up a little bit to it more. I still don't think it's a good song, but it didn't bother me as much the second time around. The other song for me that it's just, it's not necessarily even bad. It's more just like, this doesn't feel good and it's, I don't understand why it's here, is Swimming, the song right before it. Wet hair, relax, this guy's too slow. 15, can I make it to 40? Too slow, touch his heel, move. Answer my calls, red fin stripe, 50 feet, 60 feet. She looks like Susan, Susan's beautiful. It just feels kind of just like noise. I, I, nothing nothing about it stood out or, or made me... You know, I ne- there was no moment where I was like, oh, that's clever or that's fun or catchy. Yeah. It's kind of a nothing song. I agree. Yeah, I agree, too. Um, Another song that, you know, the first time I heard it, I was like, hmm, is this good? The second time in the- I saw the movie, I grew to like it was Johnny Can't Decide. Johnny has no guy. Johnny wants to hide. Can he settle down? I feel like it's very catchy. The second time I I was like, oh, this is much catchier than I remember. And I'm warming up to it. But the very first time I remember thinking, what's this doing here? Again, there's just a high standard for me for lyrics. Again, Mm -hmm. comparing it to Rent, comparing it to 3090, which I think the lyrics are so strong. Um... I was just kind of holding those, holding every song up to both of those throughout the whole show. And so any song that didn't wow me, um, I was a little harsh yeah. on. Yeah. Um, I would I would love to hear about like the, the story beats that, that didn't work for you. Yeah. So for me, I mean, ultimately the character in this film of Jonathan Larson at many times is a little is is insufferable right like he's yeah he can be very frustrating and i i think when with characters like that that have such obvious that are so obviously frustrating for people to deal with um or uh, so obviously self-involved i think it's really tricky and you have to constantly be balancing that aspect of that character while still making us want to watch that character and finding the moments where they're charming or lovely or exciting, right? Um, Or funny. And I feel like this movie really walks that tightrope. And sometimes the character leans a little too far into the insufferable nature, like that's inherent in in that, in that person. Um, But I also think a lot of that is purposeful and that's the story they're trying to tell. And so I'm not super critical of it, but it is something I was aware of, you know? Yeah. I think it, it treats him as insufferable, um, right. which I think helps. I think, you know, the, the, the phrase of like a character uh, doesn't need to be, you, you don't have to like a character, but the character has to be interesting. Right. And I think 
uh, that's kind of how I feel about John Larson is like throughout this movie, uh, he, he, he definitely got on my nerves at times, but yeah. he was fascinating at every yeah. point in this movie. And I think a lot of the characters kind of call him out on that of like, that's the conflict throughout, uh, exactly. at least the relational conflict, um, which feels earned. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think I really noticed the second time I watched the movie was that the chemistry between, and, and I think maybe part of this is purposeful, um, the chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Alexander Ship as Susan and Jonathan felt kind of lacking to me in a lot of parts. And more so, maybe I'm just watching this and I'm like, Susan's gotta leave this guy. Like, this is <laughs> bad. And I think that is the point of the movie, is that their relationship yeah. wasn't meant to be. But there's a part of you that also still wants to, like... I. I I think when a relationship is featured as much in a story as this one is, you do want to see the moments that make the relationship click or when the relationship used to click, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we got enough of those. Where in contrast, the chemistry between Jonathan and Michael was so present all the time. Mm -hmm. You like, could tell that they were best friends. Like, yeah. For like, sure. you just <laughs> felt like they joked together they loved each other they you know i feel like there were scenes where he was always like oh don't leave and like he was never like that was susan you know yeah. and so <laughs> um so it was to to watch so, those scenes and feel that electricity even when they were frustrated with each other to to really feel that connection you really noticed it missing with susan and again that was very likely very a purposeful you know storytelling choice that showing that this is a relationship that works and this is a relationship that doesn't. Um, but it was something that I also found frustrating and maybe I was supposed yeah, to. I think so. I mean, like half the movie is him avoiding Susan so he doesn't have to talk about her job. Right. Um, but I, I agree that if you'd, if you'd layered in some more like earlier um, chemistry, um, then it would make that avoidance feel. Yeah. It's tricky because it is such a moment in time. You know, this whole show is or show movie is over what like a two-week period and it's showing this specific snapshot of when their relationship is falling apart right um and showing like both of them holding on for different reasons a relationship they probably should have let go of a long time ago so you're like entering in at this very late stage um which i think is part of what makes it feel a little tricky yeah you know, I knew that there was a number, this green, green dress number cut from the, sh from the movie. And I don't really have any opinions about the song, but. It's not good. It, I don't know if I said that before. Right, right. But <laughs> it made me wonder if that scene might have had that kind of electric sexiness and chemistry between the two that I felt was missing. You know, if. Yeah. To, to mourn the relationship, you have to have seen it be good first, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I wonder if that scene might have had that glimpse that I would have needed to really feel the pain of this relationship ending. Other than the like, oh, thank God it's ending. This is so like <laughs> painful. <laughs> Were there any other story issues that y'all had any kind of difficulty with? What 3090 does is something that like dives into the the mindset that I think a lot of people have about turning 30 of like this is I mean even Bo Burnham special even talks uh, about this of like yeah wow um, what a great duo those I know two right 30 songs <laughs> yeah yeah 
um, of that that kind of feeling of like, what have I accomplished before I'm I'm thirty? What you know what? And I think that also feels like once you're once you're over that hill, once you're past that, <laughs> looking back on it, you're like, that's so trivial. You know, thirty was you know right. Thirty was whatever. It was just another day. But I think one of the things that I I liked later in the movie that I had trouble with earlier is feeling like what are, well what are your other options you know mm. and like we got to see that with Susan and Michael I think that played out beautifully getting to see like these are the these are the people who pursue creative creative endeavors and these are ways that they can it's 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 not like giving up on yourself to go and do these other things mm-hmm. both of them feel fulfilled doing these other things he just can't like this is this is his life that he needs to you know pursue and this is what he wants and i felt like at the beginning we didn't get enough of that like obviously he wants to do this but why it is the only option mm-hmm. at the beginning to me it felt like he was a just an annoying new york guy who's like you have to do it in new york you have to be in new york everything's here in new york that kind of guy and i don't i again i feel like that's probably intentional but it was just something at the beginning that i was just like this guy i don't Well, you know, I I felt similarly, uh, the part of the thing that stresses me out about any character is when they brush off like bills that are past due, right? When it, like, I can have sympathy for a character that is really struggling financially, right? But when a character has this like eccentric nature and is like, who cares? Don't pay attention to those bills, you know? Um, That's really frustrating and just us being in our 30s and just being like i can't know i think that's you and me lucas being like these kind of people that are like (laughs) cranks like (laughs) i'm like uh like don't be that person like you know don't be that person that blows off your bills that aspect of the character i immediately found frustrating but the scene that like made me understand that character more and that i think also the having the knowledge of the themes of rent kind of informs my interpretation of this character, right? So if someone hasn't seen rent, they might not be getting this full picture. Um, is just about how passionate Jonathan Larson was about like these anti capitalist, you know, beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the scene where he and Michael are arguing after the um, where he goes to the focus group and Michael's like, you know, what's wrong with, you know, a little or he goes, nothing's wrong with wanting money, something to that effect. Right. And Jonathan Larson is like, are you sure? Are you sure nothing's wrong? And he's kind of intimating like this is a like a bad toxic system that we're all just like willfully participating in those like themes and those ideas are really powerful and I'm sure they can be really annoying on an interpersonal level, but in the grand scheme of like his work and especially what he did with rent makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's why he has to live that way. You know, yeah. that's the yeah. answer to me. All, yeah. All of this definitely makes rent make more sense for yeah. sure. <laughs> like, yeah. But I will say I did feel very old watching rent and being like, I don't know. Maybe you guys should just pay rent. Pay rent. Just no. get a job. <laughs> right. Right. I do have some scenes that I, I I want us to talk about that really stood out as as moving and like really worked for me. The one that immediately comes to mind is well, it's kind of a two hander. It's after he finds out that his play like nobody's gonna buy it. 
Mm -hmm. um, and he's on the phone with his agent. And his agent basically tells him, like, when he asks, like, what do I do? And he's like, she's you write the next one. And you keep, and then you write the next one after that. And you just keep writing. That's what a writer does. I thought that that scene was so perfectly acted by Judith Light. And I thought that the writing of that scene and the essence of that message really tied the whole movie together for me. That this is the destiny he is choosing for himself. And, like, that's just what being an artist is. And it's not about just selling the show. It's about keeping writing and doing the work. Um, and I love I love that moment so much. I think that's, that is a message that all artists get. I won't say all artists. I would yeah. probably say most artists get right. at some point in their, you know, in their careers or lives. Cause it's not really a career at that point of just like, this is something you are trying to do. And if you don't love doing it, like if you're doing it for, to get successful, if you're doing it for the money or for the acclaim, you will fail because <laughs> you, the only way to succeed in this is to do it because you love doing it. So make one and then be excited to go make the next thing. I definitely heard that a lot. Like, and you know, in song, I think, Songs are a little easier because you're not writing, you know, one thing for eight years or whatever. But but the idea of like, I wrote a song and it's good. Great. Now what now what what are you writing next? Like that idea of like the life of an artist is to live in the making of the art, not the having made an art. Mm -hmm. So I I absolutely I agree with you. I 100 percent loved that part. And the fact that it it really did pull together all of his relationships, like his mm-hmm. relationship with Michael, his relationship with Susan into that moment of just, this is what life is. This is the life that you wanted, I think is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The follow-up to that was the voicemail from Sondheim. Yeah. Um, to have, one, to have the age, your age, the agent character give you that tough love of like, this is what it is and you just got to keep doing it and it, there's not a lot of hope there, but you that's what it is, and you got to keep doing it. And then to have, on the other hand, the affirmation from someone that this is good. You did good work, and you are talented, and you can keep doing this. Um, and also, I, I'm sure, I don't know if y'all have heard about how that was Stephen Sondheim actually on the voicemail. Have y'all heard about yes. that? Yeah, I was going to bring that up, too. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening who isn't aware, during the movie, Bradley Whitford played Stephen Sondheim. I thought really well. I love yeah. Bradley Whitford. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then apparently Brad, Bradley Whitford recorded a voicemail, but when Stephen Sondheim was alive and giving notes on this film and his portrayal, um, he wanted the voicemail that was originally in the script to be rewritten to sound more like him, um, the, the actual words. And Bradley Whitford had already wrapped filming. And so Lin-Manuel Miranda asked Stephen Sondheim himself to record, to rewrite this voicemail and then also record it. To have that piece of him in this film, you know, right after his passing, um, I think the moment with, Aside from that is very beautiful and touching, but then of course it takes on this whole other layer of meaning um, to have his actual voice there. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we watched this before he died. Um, Mm. And so I think it, it really 
is a completely different experience. I'm excited to watch it again now that he's passed yeah. to see kind of like what feelings that brings up in me. But like even when I even watching it, knowing he was fully alive and in, I thought good hell, <laughs> just right. the idea of like he is a legend. He is someone who like he's so legendary in this world that like he doesn't feel like someone who would still be alive. You know, know. like he feels like mm-hmm. someone who would be, you know gone and passed with the other great artists of the 20th century. And so I think at the time I was just like, we are lucky to live in a world that Sondheim is around and now he's not. Yeah. Um, With that voicemail, I remember the first time we watched Tick, Tick, Boom, when that voicemail played, I actually had a moment where I was like, oh, this is sweet. But like, would someone like Sondheim Mm. like actually call and leave a voicemail like this? Like kind of feeling like it seemed kind of, scripted so then whenever i heard that story about sondheim rewriting it and actually recording it i don't know it just made me love sondheim so much more because you know this is a theme throughout the movie about the way he supported playwrights and i think Mm -hmm. that's something that has continued to come out like mindy kaling sharing a story about him coming to her like off off broadway performance and coming and talking to her like clearly this was a person who he really loved getting to pour into people who were doing this work. Um, and so, I don't know, I just loved that voicemail so much more whenever I realized how genuine it was. I think that's like a perfect, it makes total sense. Cause you're right. Any other movie, it feels like, Oh, this is what happens in the movie version of this. This doesn't yeah. happen in real life. Um, <laughs> I follow a Twitter account um, that just posts letters. Of, it's called letters of note. And it's, you know, letters from typically, you know, famous people that have been shared in public ways, right? And dur- after Sondheim passed, um the the that Twitter account was just retweeting people posting letters that Sondheim wrote them when they wrote him a fan letter and he responded back. And there was a countless amount. And it was it didn't matter if it was like a fel- a, an up and coming playwright or like a nine-year-old that, you know, wrote wrote him. It seemed like he responded to every letter he got. And with these really thoughtful, like, touching responses. And, yeah, so, like, it just really shows, like, that is who he was. He was such a giving person, in addition to being one of the genius, most genius people of our time. <sighs> yeah. One other thing I, I want to make sure that we, we really talk about or, or, or give props to is Robin de Jesus as my, portraying Michael, I thought was mm-hmm. such a great performance. He, like I said, the chemistry that he and Andrew Garfield had in their scenes together um, really, really shined through. And um, I, I just loved everything he did. I loved the the humor that he brought to this movie and... Um, yeah, I, I was really, really wowed by him. I, I've seen him in a couple of things, but I can't wait to see him in more because this was... I'm, I'm hoping that this movie really gives him um, the shine that he deserves. Yeah, I agree. I think his chemistry with Andrew Garfield was really wonderful. He has a beautiful voice. And mm-hmm. I, I think that he was such a critical part of continuing to drive the story forward. And he's a part of so many of the songs. And I think that he just like filled that space beautifully. Other performers that I want to just shout out that I really loved was MJ Rodriguez and Ben Ross as like the two other servers at the diner. Mm-hmm. 
Um, every moment that they were on camera, I was like, oh, I would watch a whole other movie of just these two people. Like, <laughs> they're so fun. And I'm just like, my my attention was immediately would swing to them whenever they were nearby. Um, mm-hmm. Loved them so much. I'll also call it Joshua Henry, who plays the other male singer in Tick, Tick, Boom. As, yeah. Uh, he's also in the suburbia and in the house party. Um, he's just kind of like a very dynamic actor i think and just like you're he's he's kind of one of those people that you're also just kind of like looking at all the time and who feels like is just bringing a lot to the scenes um even though he doesn't have a large part in this movie he's just there and like ready so expressive like yeah yeah, yeah. you always were like oh i'm catching his face because yep. like he's doing so much with it yeah. um i'm curious what you guys think about vanessa hudgens in this movie and how she was used you know what's interesting is that I don't know how I got this in my head. Do you know how sometimes – I don't know if you all do this. Sometimes you start making up what's going to happen in this movie before mm-hmm. – or, or, I, or I assume that, like, I thought I knew what happened with her character. Not that I made it up, but I thought, like, oh, I read what happens with this character. And then I watched the movie and I was like, that didn't happen at all. I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> For some reason, I kept thinking he was going to have an affair with her character. Turned out, no. So I, I kind of <laughs> went into the first screening with some ill intentions for the character <laughs> that were not fair. Um, so I'm very interested in what y'all thought of her. Or you thought of her, Rebecca. Well, yeah. Similarly, I think maybe even from the trailer, it kind of gives this vibe like there is a tension there between her and Jonathan Larson and Susan. Um, because I even think that there's a couple of times in the trailer that it looks like she's interacting with Jonathan Larson by how they cut it, but she's actually just like interacting with someone else in the scene, like especially during like the boho days scene and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I also feel like I saw this character's arc and like Susan's arc were changed a little bit Mm. in Lin-Manuel Miranda's version compared to actual Tick, Tick, Boom to where I think in Tick, Tick, Boom, there might have been more of this like tension between these characters okay i'm glad that i didn't just imagine that because like maybe it is based on something (laughs) yeah and so i expected her to be a very important character and even some of the ways that she's shot it's like really focused in on her and then she's just kind of a person who's around for the whole movie but doesn't really have if i remember correctly any kind of a character art. Like she's just one of his friends that's in his performances and things. Um, but other than that, there's not this yeah. like, super important role for her other than her, you know, she has a beautiful voice. Yeah. Right. After the movie, I was definitely surprised by that. She was in this. Cause I was like, cause she's, she's playing at the same level as like, um, as Joshua Henry. And yet they've like, cast Vanessa Hudgens in this role and so right. it feels like it feels like an underutilization but um yeah if that role was originally expanded more then that makes more sense I think yeah I feel like even if this was the only if the role wasn't previously bigger and then got cut down if that was just the role was just how we saw it um I think anyone who has a history in musical theater was like really willing to be a part of this you know like yeah. and yeah I could see Someone like Vanessa Hudgens saying, like, yeah, I'm going to be in Tick, Tick, Boom, like, and not making yeah. a big deal out of how big big or small the role is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like there is one other thing I wanted to make sure that we discussed. Oh, oh. I no, go. You go. OK, first. OK. One thing that I am just so frustrated by is 
But we're gonna it's gonna be the same thing. <laughs> the musical number from Superbia is not on the soundtrack. That's it's it's not the same thing, but I a hundred percent agree <laughs> that I was I went looking for that. The yeah. that Superbia song is it, one of so, the best songs. It's so good. It is so, so good. And yeah, the only way to listen to it is to watch like a compilation clip on YouTube that kind of cuts all those scenes together. And I yeah. I also did hear somewhere that they did record it for the soundtrack. Like that the they did rec- do a recording of it. Um I don't know why it didn't make it. It's really, really <laughs> yeah. frustrating. Um, I'm sure it'll get thing? released at some point. Oh, cross our fingers. Yeah. Um, what was your thing that you wanted to bring up, Lucas? Um, I wanted to bring up the framing device of Susan telling this story mm. at the beginning and the end. I, you know, I assumed really that was like her that. voice, but I wasn't for sure. Yeah, I, I assumed it was. I actually never considered it being anybody else. But it didn't make a lot of sense to me from a character perspective, but also just as like you could have completely left out everything. Uh, in those voiceover sections and just play the musical as is. And it, I think it would have been great, but I think the, just that framing device of this voiceover stuff felt so cheesy to me of her being like, like explaining like a before rent before all the accolades, this Mm -hmm. was Jonathan Larson. And then at the end and then like, and he died. (laughs) Like it is a very uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, if you've, you know, seen Hamilton, that's, feels very similar to what is happening there but this just feels like a completely different uh ball game and Mm. didn't feel necessary to me it worked for me but i did remember assuming that it was susan assuming that that was the same actress that was narrating that it seemed odd for the relationship that we see in that movie for for her to be the one to provide that voiceover when it seemed like you could have had robin de jesus say that it just as much and that would have kind of made a little bit more sense or you know maybe this would have been really off-putting and cheesy i don't know but maybe even having someone that's not in the film like a lin-manuel miranda or like just a someone Mm -hmm. who knew jonathan larson that isn't a big Mm -hmm. name you know yeah it's interesting but for me it worked um i i think the part of the the tragedy and the the eeriness of the whole show tick tick boom is that he wrote that before you know obviously before he died or that he knew he was sick it's about his he feeling like his life is about to end and that time is running out and mm-hmm. then to find out that that was true you know that that wasn't yeah. something that he would that was just in his head that that was the reality of his fate and so I think having that context is important. Um, I think the context is important. It felt, um, I think what f- made it feel awkward is you have that framing device bookending it. And then you also have the framing device of the actual show, Tick, Tick, Boom, that he's putting on. And sure. so it felt like just a lot of things happening at once at the beginning there. And then a lot of things happening at the end. It, just, it felt like a hat on a hat. Like, I feel like you could have given that context in other ways. That's not this extra voiceover yeah i can see that again um, at the time i was like i don't like this and now it's like this doesn't matter at all to me in, the, <laughs> in how much i enjoy this this movie but yeah it was something that stood out to me it felt a little bit like him trying his best to give context for the show kind of immediately mm-hmm. it felt like the only like his only attempt at a nod to like not everybody 
might know this one that this person wrote rent and also that he died the night before or the day of night before it's first debut you know so i to me it kind of felt like his attempt to set that up and to kind of set up the tragedy yeah um also really quick i found the information on kind of the two ways that lin-manuel miranda changed kind of some of the plot line around the women in this story um both first one one small change for susan's character and one change for vanessa hutchinson's character so he i guess in the original tick tick boom susan's main goal was centered around um like wanting to settle down and have kids and get married um and kind of more like a biological clock kind Mm -hmm. of a thing um and so they chose to downplay that and to make it like yeah there was some undertones of like she's ready for that next step but that a lot of it had to do with like she wanted to do this for her career um and then there also was um in the play susan gets jealous of caressa and because of a perceived flirtation with john and they ditched it so yeah i'm not mad at those changes yeah no not at all no i'm really (laughs) glad that they did but that was i think that was some of what we were picking up i i wonder if it was filmed and then they changed it yeah or if people who have seen the show if i had absorbed you know like their reactions to those characters somehow you know like yeah that's um, true yeah that's i it's really interesting to hear um because if you are gonna cast someone that plays the flirtatious co-worker of your boyfriend like that you cast Vanessa Hudgens like that's uh-huh, yeah. perfect I'm I'm really st- really happy that we have this this movie um in a year full of musicals this is on the high end I I think Definitely. Um, yeah mm-hmm. I, I I do want to know um oh I have two questions and I want y'all's opinions on first um speaking of musicals this year are either of you excited for West Side Story or how are your West, what is your West Side Story anticipation is like? And the other question I have before I forget is, do we think there is Oscar potential for Tick, Tick, Boom or Andrew Garfield? I will go first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was not excited for West Side Story um, at all um, until today. Embargoes lifted today, and so mm-hmm. I've been hearing a ton <laughs> of praise for for West Side Story, um, which Sondheim wrote the lyrics for. And so I think all that to say, this is a year that I think I will be excited to see West Side Story, whereas the entire year I was against it even existing. <laughs> so <laughs> big turnaround for me. No, I was in the same boat as Lucas. I think I had really low expectations for West Side Story. I remember not being very impressed by the trailer. Um, it just kind of seemed like, uh, Steven Spielberg. Like, I mean, I know he's a great director, but like, <laughs> you know, it just felt nah, like Steven he was Spielberg. doing, he was doing what he does. Blah, blah, blah. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> like, who's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> um, Bridges spies also, Steven Spielberg. Right. Yeah. Right. So I also, I don't know if this is a controversial take, but I am not a fan of Taryn Edgerton. No. Nope. Ansel Elgort. Nope. Thank you. <laughs> I do this every time. I like, to, I take that back. I do like Taryn Edgerton. I am not a fan of Ansel Elgort. You know, and like, just seems like the guy, like you couldn't get someone better. So you got Ansel Elgort. Um, and so I don't know. I was not pumped about this movie at all and just kind of like, oh, I mean, I guess I'll see it. Until today, when 
yeah, everybody was just raving about how good it is. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, I will go into this with a super open mind because it was just from a whole bunch of people that I really respect their opinions and also tend to agree with their opinions most of the time. And I haven't seen a single negative thing about it. People just seem to be really enthralled with it. So yeah. it kind of like switched, flipped a switch for me. Uh, I was similarly kind of skeptical about this movie, especially after I saw In the Heights. I remember thinking like, this is so exciting and original and, you know, like West Side Story is going to feel so like wrote and redone and, you know, like right. compared to this. Right. And um, when that trailer came out for West Side Story, though, I do remember being like, I mean, this does look beautiful. Like, I don't know if I'm excited about this, but I can't deny, like, looks gorgeous. Um, and I have been on the fence about it because of the Ansel Elgort of it all. Both him as performer <laughs> and he has, like, a lot of, he's had accusations made against him. So there's the oh, whole. Oh, I didn't know that. Wait, yeah. has he? That yeah. makes me more out on him. Oh my gosh! So I was dude, already out. You know, you can't you can't be a bland McMuffin and have accusations against you. Yeah, I knew, he, there was, I knew he was sketchy. Here's the thing: there was one. It was there was this one instance um, that, of course, he has denied, and I don't know how investigated it's been. You know, like how mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's been a lot of journalism about it or anything like that. I just know there was this one instance, right? And it came out after they had already finished filming for this movie right so unless they pulled a a a christopher Plummer, like they weren't like this is it's not going to change anything right Mm -hmm. um and you know that's something that i wrestle with and sits with me every time something like this happens is Mm -hmm. there's this movie that everyone i every critic i trust and love is saying is beautiful and brilliant and I think it's a little easier for me when I know that it was made before something like this came out. You know, like, even though there's something intellectually about that for me where it's like, well, the people who were making this film, how could, you know, they couldn't have known, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I also know, like, when I see this movie, that's going to be something that sits with me. And that, like, one person who alleged, like, that this assault happened is I'm going to be thinking about her, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I wrestle with that every single time something like this happens. And I I don't have any easy answers. And I'm not someone who abstains all the time when I think I should. You know, sometimes I just say, fuck it. It's a movie. I want to see the movie, right? Um, And so I'm wrestling with that for West Side Story. But also with Stephen Sondheim passing, I am incredibly interested in revisiting this material in like a new, beautiful way, right? Um, so yeah, I, I I too am on the fence, but have my anticipation for this movie has definitely grown. Could I interest you in a Casey Affleck movie? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, I I also want to make it known. I don't always bring up this conversation around people because I don't want to be the downer. Like if someone was excited about a movie, I don't want to like stop them from seeing a movie they were excited about. You know, like. Yeah. But I'm also experiencing this with Licorice Pizza, with Sean Penn being involved in that movie. Mm. Um, Sean Penn's in that movie? Yeah. I know like, that. Like, top build. Really? I mean, I don't know how big his role is, but he I think he's top build because he's Sean yeah. Penn. Right. Um, but, like, they're not, like, hiding the fact that he's in the movie. Like, he's in the movie. Completely missed that. Yeah. Mm. 
And it's like, Sean Penn's a bad dude, and we've all known it for a long time, you know? Yeah. And so, but I could not be more excited for Licorice Pizza. That movie, I'm really excited about it. And, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what my comfort levels and my morals allow in these situations. And there's no, no easy answer. Um, right. It's so gray. Yeah. And it, I feel like it also it tends to be so situationally dependent, right? That it's yeah. like what might apply to one situation doesn't apply to another or I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. And I also just want to say I never I, – I, almost never judge people for like just seeing a movie. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. Uh, while while I may wrestle with things, I don't think that I would judge anyone for, you know, having a taking a different path. The only thing I judge people on is if they're major Woody Allen fans. That's like where, where, where my line is. <laughs> like if you're yeah, like him and Kevin Spacey, like yeah. feels like we can like make a commitment on right you know? if, yeah. if you're in 2021 <laughs> still committed to being a woody allen fan like i wash yeah. my hands of you yes um, <laughs> but for almost everything else there's i can understand how there it's it's complicated um whether we enjoy the movies of of people with really awful behavior in them anyway I, that we took i didn't mean for us to go down that path it just kind of <laughs> came spilling out because it's been on my mind we can come back to Tick, Tick, Boom, and I want to know if either of y'all think of there's any Oscar potential here. I have a hard time because I want there to be Oscar <laughs> potential. You know what I mean? I do think that Andrew Garfield will get an acting nod for it, for sure. Um, I would love for it to also, I think, adapted screenplay. Like, I think it could get that because I do think it was a very impressive adaptation. Mm. Um I don't know, you know, especially with it coming out right alongside West Side Story, like if one of if they're going to pick one musical to make it into the 10 movies of the year, I don't know how it will stack up against West Side Story. I haven't seen it yet, but um, I I would love to see Andrew Garfield. And I, I think it would be really cool if um, I think it'd be really cool if Lin-Manuel Miranda got an EGOT out of this, but just because of how much passion he has about this project, but I don't think he actually will, but I think it would be a cool nod for him to get adapted screenplay or nominated at least. So I don't think he's going to get nominated. I mean, um, I don't think Lynn he or is Andrew? either. Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda, I don't think will get nominated. I do think Andrew Garfield will, which would yeah. be very exciting yeah um i'm looking at a variety article that's predicting you know the top five predictions for best actor at the moment um and it's will smith andrew garfield benedict cumberbatch denzel and leonardo dicaprio i i really hope that he does i you know as someone who has loved him for a long time i still um i have a very distinct memory of the day the morning that the um, Oscar nominations were announced the year The Social Network came out. And <laughs> that was also the year he starred in a movie called Never Let Me Go that I can maintain today as a, as a brilliant mm -hmm. film. Um, and I remember in my <laughs> complete naivete thinking, wow, how are they going to choose which performances of his they're going to nominate? Oh. Like, <laughs> I remember thinking, <laughs> what if he gets nominated for both? Like, what if he gets nominated as supporting actor for both movies? Oh, boy. <laughs> and then he didn't get either. Um, his only Oscar nomination so far has been for one of the only movies of his I will never see because 
speaking of our earlier topic, it was written and directed by Mel Gibson. Um, And I remember thinking when he was nominated for Best Actor for that movie, thinking, like, if he wins for this movie, I will (laughs) scream. I will scream at my Oscar party and be so mad. Um, So very excited that uh, the possibility that he might get nominated for this, a performance that I adore and um, I hope that he gets just a lot of attention for. Yeah, I hope so, too. All right. Well, are there any closing thoughts about Tick, Tick, Boom before we glow? No, I think we covered it. It's a good movie. <laughs> really good. As I think we, we say this every time, but more movie musicals, please. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll take as many as they'll give us. They keep getting better and better. Yeah. All right. Well, let's tell everyone where they can find us online. Um, Rebecca, do you want to give us? Do you want to start us off by telling people where they can find you online? If if you like people to find you online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I am at Rebecca underscore Chase R E B E C C A and then Chase like the bank. Well, that's all of my Twitter, Instagram, all of that. Um, I am not that interesting on social media, <laughs> but I am there. So, <laughs> Lucas, where are you not interesting? <laughs> I, I am everywhere at Lucas and stuff. I'm neither there or interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't posted in quite a while, so. <laughs> and then you can find uh, me everywhere at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A M S T U T Z. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.